Hello and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm one of today's co-hosts, Alok Tai. I'm the VP of Life Sciences at Ignite, and we're a secure content platform focused on key global industries. Hi, I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, today's other co-host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a two-sided marketplace that leverages software to match top-tier life sciences expertise to biotech companies in order to accelerate and de-risk their development. I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Mike Clayman, the CEO and co-founder at Flexion Therapeutics. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we'd love to just start off with your background and career journey and, and how you got to what you're doing today. Yeah, very, very briefly, Rahul, I'm a physician by training, a nephrologist, was on faculty at the University of Pennsylvania doing bench, NIH-funded bench research. When, when I came to appreciate that what I really loved was the translational space, the space between the bench and the bedside bringing things from the lab into the clinic to understand whether they could actually have value for patient care. And um, with that in mind, decided to leave Penn, join Eli Lilly and Company, where I learned to do clinical research with great gratitude. I say a very, a very nice career there um, and had the opportunity to, to lead a variety of different components, the phase one clinical trial unit that Lilly had, the cardiovascular research group, the Global Regulatory Affairs Group. And then in my last five years at Lilly, worked with Dr. Neil Bodick, who's our co-founder at Flexion, on a unit called Chorus. And, and I'll, I'll talk more about that. But the journey has been, I feel blessed um, to have been able to partake in this journey because I've, I've worked with so many wonderful people and have had so many opportunities. And I'd say the highlight is introducing a product to the marketplace that can make such a difference for so many patients. And I know we'll talk about that. Wonderful. Well, you know, I think maybe to kick us off, I would love to hear a little bit about your experience at Eli Lilly, as well as some of the innovative work you did around developing Chorus and sort of spinning out and, and focusing on new assets uh, in the environment. Yeah. So um, Chorus was a um, wholly owned subsidiary, if you will, of Lilly Research Labs, originally founded by Dr. Bodick with the idea that we could bring assets coming out of product candidates coming out of the lab. We could advance those to meaningful clinical proof of concept much more efficiently than the larger organization by concentrating on, on the key elements that allowed those assets to be progressed safely, um, compliantly, and rapidly. And the idea there was that Lilly, like what we learned was many other large pharmas had discovery output outstripping development capacity. And as a result, many assets were relegated to the back burner because they were at the lower end of the priority list. But the, the fundamental challenge in creating a priority list for assets that are coming out of the lab, the vast majority of those assets are prioritized based on preclinical data. And preclinical data, I think, is widely known in the industry is very poorly predictive uh, in general of what you're going to see clinically. So the difference between the number one asset in that portfolio um, and the number 36 asset could be a single defining clinical data set. So the idea of getting to clinical data rapidly, efficiently, and effectively became a mantra. Neil originally recognized that, created Chorus. I was able to join a year or two after he had started Neil was a chief operating officer. I was a general manager. 
And ultimately, we got ring-fenced funding, protected funding from the larger um, Lilly Research Lab organization to do an experiment whereby we would create a portfolio of 10 assets, advance all of those assets to meaningful clinical proof of concept, and return the winners to the larger organization and cast off the, the ones that generated disappointing clinical data. And I think, as, as many would know, the vast majority of what you work on in terms of coming out of the lab is never going to make it to market. And in fact, will particularly fall by the wayside as you get into patients. And so generally speaking, you could have expected that 70% of what we were working on would not make it to the next phase of development. Question was, how could you most efficiently advance those assets to an answer? Long story short, we gained experience with nine assets that we advanced fully to proof of concept. Six of those were negative, three were positive and returned to the larger organization. And we got into discussions with a former colleague, Brad Bolzon of Burson Ventures, who convinced us that the situation at Lilly and the opportunity was every bit as robust outside of Lilly as it, as it was inside of Lilly, and convinced us with Versen's backing to create Flexion, leave Lilly, create a separate entity, and pursue the construction of a portfolio of assets from large pharma that we would advance to meaningful clinical proof of concept on our dime with the idea that with successful data, we'd return that to the originator for us, our cost plus a success fee. As we began to pursue that model, we did, uh, we did leave Lilly in November of 2007. We got funding from Versen and then from several other venture capital firms. As we shopped what we were doing to large pharma, we got a very positive reception, gained access to over 150 different assets because it was true at every large pharma that there were languishing assets that many wanted to see defined with clinical data. We did due diligence on 50 in license five and then came to the realization through a variety of different means that uh, one of the fundamental underpinnings of the model that we would get premiums for proof of concept data was actually flawed. And large pharma was increasingly not paying the premiums that our business model would have depended on. So we took a step back and we said, frankly, we do not want to be dependent on large pharma recognizing the brilliance of the data that we've generated in terms of opening up their, their wallets to pay us for that. We want to be masters of our own fate. And at that point, one of the five assets we had in license was from AstraZeneca, an intraarticular sustained release P38 MAP kinase inhibitor, with the following value proposition. And really, credit where credit is due. This came from a scientist at AstraZeneca, Rose Masowitz, who had this idea. What if we took a P38 MAP kinase inhibitor that the industry had fallen in love with, but as a class had fallen by the wayside because of ferocious systemic toxicities? formulated for sustained release so that you were able to have persistent therapeutic concentrations within the joint once you inject it. This is for knee osteoarthritis pain and vanishingly low systemic concentrations because the volume of the knee joint is 5 mLs. The volume of the intravascular space is 6,000 mLs. You don't need a lot of drug within the knee to get to a therapeutic concentration. And once it moves outside the knee, which free drug does, it'll be diluted and metabolized. And as we learn more about that space, we came to appreciate, on the one hand, what a large unmet medical need existed there. Five million patients in the United States get injected with either hyaluronic acids, things like Synvisc, 
which is a naturally occurring, if you will, complex proteoglycan that um, acts as a lubricant or immediate release steroids. And in both cases, the clinical efficacy was marginal. The hyaluronic acids barely separate from placebo and controlled clinical trials, yet generate about a billion dollars a year in sales because patients are desperate for anything that might give them relief. And the, the steroids were all immediate release, meaning that they were injected into the joint, flooded out, and the pain relief that you received, which is generally pretty good, was evanescent, fading after two to four weeks. And by convention, steroids were not injected any more often than every three months, a built-in on that medical need. So we fell in love with that space. And I think the other element of that attraction was the recognition that a small company like Flexion could not only take efficiently advanced assets all the way to market, but could actually commercialize ourselves. Because at the time, Genzyme was selling $500 million of Simvisc with a sales force of about 100. And so we made a major pivot. We said we have the intraarticular P38 uh, MAP kinase from AstraZeneca. As drug developers, Neil and I knew that we needed to have a critical mass of high-quality shots on goal in the pipeline, which meant to us at least three. So we applied the formulation technology or commonly injected steroid to create a sustained release steroid. And we separately, as it happened, also in license from AstraZeneca, a TREK-A antagonist. TREK-A being the receptor for nerve growth factor, where there's a, a very plausible expectation that that would have utility in, in the osteoarthritis pain. We advanced the entire set of three, the P38 MAP kinase inhibitor and the TREK-A antagonist, both fell by the wayside for reasons of disappointing preclinical data. And what emerged as a winner was what is now Zoretta, the sustained release steroid, in this case, triamcinolone acetonide. We took those through registration trials, submitted to the FDA, and got approval in October 2017 and have been selling it since. And I don't want to veer too much away from the, the core story, but I think what you hear and what I'm saying is a major pivot away from an original business model when the brutal facts clearly were pointing in the direction of that business model not being viable in the long term. And the, the small group of us um, at Flexion, and it was a small group, I think there were six of us at the company at the time we pivoted, worked together to look at our options and, and then settled on, at the time, what we called IA for OA, intraarticular for osteoarthritis, and what has become local therapies for musculoskeletal disease, starting with osteoarthritis and also including postoperative pain and low back pain. The core story was foundational for us. We adhered to the principles of efficient um, drug development, but we've applied them in a different direction. And Mike, you know, it's interesting in that it sounds like one of the innovations, one of the many innovations you brought to the table beyond just sort of the business model, but also the aspect of reformulation and, and drug delivery, right? In terms of using PLGA, et cetera, was critical to Flexion success so far. The interesting thing that I've observed, however, to date is that though many people talk about drug delivery, especially say in the case of oncology, yeah. we haven't really seen huge successes yet from a commercial perspective or at least a translational standpoint. I'm curious, one, what do you think you guys had figured out that maybe other domains haven't yet or other indications haven't yet? And what do you sort of see for at least the drug delivery thread in broader therapeutics? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, the first part of your question is what did we figure out that maybe other people hadn't? And, and I'll touch on that. And uh, I'll, I'll try to provide a sentence or two about the broader application. I think what we appreciated is 
this approach was very much fit for purpose. I would say that we're pharmacologists at heart, in a sense. And our view was the reason why, for example, steroids fade in effect is because you don't have persistent therapeutic concentrations of drug enjoying. And for us, that's not exactly a breakthrough concept. And we solved for how could you achieve therapeutic concentrations for at least three months. So we had, a, I think we had a very clear hypothesis and well-delineated approach to at least test that hypothesis. As both of you can appreciate, as good and as strong as hypotheses are, they often wash up on the shoals of clinical testing reality. And so we thought we had a strong hypothesis. And what we really wanted to demonstrate was that the pain relief you got with immediate release steroids would persist for not two to four weeks, but for at least 12 weeks. The surprise we got was that we not only got longer pain relief than the immediate release steroids, because we tested head to head, we got better pain relief. And that was um, you know, we had contemplated that as maybe that was possible, but that was not the original hypothesis. And we're often asked, why, why would that be? Our response is also hypothetical because we don't, do not have concrete data on this. We d- have done careful synovial fluid pharmacokinetic analyses over time that do demonstrate therapeutic concentrations of triamcinolone acetamide in joint fluid for at least three months. And so the extension of that observation is the reason why we're getting longer pain relief is clearly related to that. The reason why we're getting better pain relief is because we think we're giving the joint the opportunity to see better, more complete suppression of the underlying inflammation that attends osteoarthritis, as opposed to injecting an immediate release where you achieve heroic concentrations for a matter of days, the drug is out of the joint, and you can see recrudescence of inflammation. We don't give the joint the opportunity to see reversion to the inflammatory state. And we think that translates into better pain relief. And so I always take exception to people in the industry who claim that they knew all along exactly what the clinical data were going to show, because I'll sit here and say, we did not. We hoped for certain things and those expectations, if you will, were actually exceeded. And it's nice to see that that door swings in the positive direction sometimes because we very, very often see it swing in the negative direction. And so our expectations about the space, the need, the patient desire for better and longer pain relief have been borne out. And I'd say the other surprise related to Zoretta, which is what this sustained release steroid has now become, we gained FDA approval in October of 2017, launched it shortly thereafter. So we've been on the market for about two and a half years now. As bullish as we were based on the clinical data about how this product would perform in the real world, the actual performance has exceeded those expectations. The number of patients who contact us spontaneously with stories about, and these are their words, the Reddit giving them their lives back and for the first time in years, name the physical activity. On one end of the spectrum, I could garden, I could walk my dog. In the middle, I could golf and romp with the grandkids. And at the farther end, skiing, triathlons, marathons, and even summiting mountains. And these, we're not soliciting these stories. They're coming to us. And the number of stories of our sales reps going into an office and a patient being there having had Zoretta learning that they were the 
the flexion sales rep going up and hugging them, incredibly gratifying. I mean, at the end of the day, that's why we're all in this industry, to make a difference for patients. And to see it actually happening has just been an awesome experience. That's awesome. Yeah. Many congrats. Yeah, that's great, Mike. That's a very unique story in the sense of after you know, lots of failed assets across the industry that you have some breakthrough like this and, and patients get to reap the benefits of all the, of all the hard work. So thanks for, for sharing that inspiring story. Thank you. As you've now gone from a clinical organization to one that also obviously is, is commercially focused, would love to unpack your thoughts around the core components of culture and what has enabled you as a company and a CEO to really drive a lot of this innovation and, and progress forward? Yeah, I, it's, a, it's a great question. And I won't dwell on this unduly, but I'll, I'll simply say that we are building a company to last and to build a company to last, you have to build behind your lead commercial asset. And at the right time, maybe we can talk more about the pipeline a novel gene therapy for osteoarthritis potential for persistent pain relief and actually disease modification, and also a, uh, a selective sodium channel blocker formulated in a thermosensitive gel for peripheral nerve block to provide meaningful, persistent, and motor sparing pain relief for uh, post-operative pain. But, but I will touch on culture because culture is a critically important element of who flexion is. We start with values that, and this, this, is, this has evolved over time, and really our values are a reflection of the way we constructed the company in the first several years. And we took a step back and we asked ourselves, what are we about? What is important to us? What guides our decision-making? And our, our values of focus, tenacity, ingenuity, transparency, and fun actually are guideposts for us. We live those values. We talk about, not only talk about them, they inform the decisions we make. And we've created a, a culture that rests on that foundation. And also three values I lived at Lilly for 20 years of integrity, excellence, and respect for people, because those absolutely have to be foundational. To create a culture that is very highly collaborative, unhierarchical, open door, dynamic, oriented to decision-making, and fun. Fun manifests, in my humble opinion, most by the amount of laughter we have in the company. Because it, it isn't like we're hiring stand-up comedians. What we're doing is not taking ourselves too seriously along the way. And we appreciate that there is absolutely no reason why you can't enjoy the journey. You know, you only get one shot on this, this thing called life. So why not enjoy yourself along the way, enjoy the people that you work with, and work on really important problems that when you're successful will make a world of difference for patients. You put all of that together, that becomes a very compelling value proposition for anyone thinking about potentially joining Flexion. And we're very cognizant of the fact that being in the Boston area, we're in a war on talent. We want to attract and retain the very best, and we hire as much for anticipated cultural fit as we do for deep functional expertise. So with the underpinnings of, of culture, you know, we'd love to go back and talk about pipeline now, obviously creating a culture that balances both commercial 
and preclinical and clinical development activities is challenging and you know, is, is certainly uh, no longer the norm in biotech. So we'd love to unpack you know, what you have going on in the pipeline and where particular assets might be in development. What's our strategic mindset as it relates to the company? And that right. is local therapies for musculoskeletal disease, as I mentioned, starting with osteoarthritis, but also um, working toward postoperative pain and low back pain. And our approach is to be therapeutically coherent, to at this point stay in the musculoskeletal space, develop deep expertise in that space, and solve for the following problem. How do you get appropriately persistent effects, particularly in our case, pain relief, following a single injection? We did it with Zilretta with pain relief that lasts at least three months and, and in many cases longer, using PLGA microspheres to formulate our, our steroid. The problem we're solving with our gene therapy approach, how do you deliver interleukin-1 receptor antagonists, uh, a native protein that we all have and is a powerful anti-inflammatory, inside the joint for a persistent period of time following a single injection. And the gene therapy, we in-licensed this from a company called GeneQuine, which uh, in-licensed it from Baylor University. And they had developed a construct, a Brendan Lee at, at, at Baylor, a very well-known gene therapy expert, had created a construct, uh, a cassette, that had interleukin-1 receptor antagonists under the control of an inflammation-sensitive promoter, NF-kappa-B promoter. It's packaged in a helper-dependent adenovirus that gets injected into the joint. The virus is taken up by the cells lining the joint, many of those very slowly turning over. It turns those cells into factories producing IL-1-RA, but only when inflammation is present. So it's, in a sense, on-demand anti-inflammatory effect. The preclinical data show a single administration and translate into appropriate expression of this gene construct for at least a year and have demonstrated efficacy in animal models of osteoarthritis and similarly evidence, strong evidence of slowing of disease progression. All of this will have to be demonstrated clinically, obviously. We started earlier this year our first single ascending dose study of what we call FX201 or gene therapy. Unfortunately, we had to suspend that study in light of COVID, but we will reinitiate that uh, very, very shortly. And I need to just go back for a second. We unlicensed our FX201 from Gene Quine, who had um, unlicensed it from Baylor College of Medicine, just to get the citation right. So we're very excited about generating clinical data. I'd say stay tuned on that. Um, as soon as we have something to say, we will certainly speak to that. And then as it relates to post-operative pain and peripheral nerve block, the, the challenges there were how do you get persistent meaningful pain relief, meaning at least three to five days, and spare motor function? Because the current nerve blocks are things like lidocaine or bupivacaine, the canes are indiscriminate sodium channel blockers, so they're just as happy to block sodium channels on motor fibers as they are on sensory fibers. And if you've just replaced somebody's knee and you want to rehab that person the next morning and they have a peripheral nerve block that compromises motor function, that's potentially a problem. And so we had an anesthesiologist thought leader who we worked with who said, the holy grail from my perspective is persistent meaningful pain relief that's motor sparing. We went on a search for motor sparing analgesic targets, if you will, locked on NAV 1.7, and then asked ourselves, how do you get persistence following a single injection? Our formulation scientists came up with a thermosensitive gel, a 
It's liquid at room temperature, gels at body temperature. So you mix the NAV 1.7 blocker with the thermosensitive gel, inject it around the nerve, and you get a depot that pays out locally for um, a number of days. The animal data, again, we, we're, uh, we do not have clinical data. The animal data are very impressive. And we took the extra step of comparing this product to liposomal bupivacaine, which is one of the treatments for post-operative pain. And, and we've just announced an abstract that showed very attractive comparative data. Awesome. Well, Mike, you know, with that, I'd love to thank you for uh, being on the podcast today. And obviously, uh, also a hearty note of congratulations for all your success uh, at Flexion so far. Obviously, sounds like you're solving a critical unmet need and one that hopefully uh, will set a foundation to be able to do more in the future. And both Rahul and I certainly hope to have you and uh, again on the show, as well as perhaps other members of your team. So I, I can tell you what a pleasure it's been talking with you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Mike, for, for sharing your inspiring entrepreneurial journey and all the exciting work that you and your team are doing. Thank you. Take care, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi, and Alok Tai. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.